Hey everyone, you're listening to the 10-7 podcast, where we get together every fortnight, and sometimes more often, to talk about technology, business, and the humans in it. I'm your host, Ivan Stegic. My guest today is Ilan Lohman, founder of Sleek Geek South Africa, a social community of support and motivation for healthy lifestyle goals. Their objective is to inspire one million South Africans to be healthier. I met Ilan at King Edward's Prep School in Johannesburg, South Africa in the third grade. We called it Standard One. We've known each other since the mid-80s, but we lost touch after we both went to different high schools. I'm delighted to be speaking with Ilan today and am looking forward to hearing his story. From Cape Town, South Africa, Ilan, welcome. It's a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. Hi, Ivan, and it's uh, really great to be here with you and uh, with your community. It's just so great to be catching up with you. It's like been so long. <laughs> Isn't this amazing know, that we can do this? I can still remember playing at your house. Uh, I oh. remember you had that big double story house uh, in, was it Northcliffe? It was in Northcliffe. <laughs> yeah, and I remember that Northcliffe Tower. That was kind of like the landmark when I knew that I was coming to visit. <laughs> yeah, but, that was that, a way to that go. That was a li- lifetime ago. It feels like a lifetime ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember you playing cricket at Kepps, and um, I remember you focusing on your uh, scholarship exam at the end of Kepps, and I think you were trying to get into either St. Stidian's or St. John's. I can't remember which one. St. John's, and I I did get the scholarship, thank goodness. Yes. So so, uh, that allowed me to have a top-notch education, even though my parents couldn't quite afford it at the time. So... I was very fortunate in that, and yeah, that gave me a good foundation for life, I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, the education we have in South Africa was was pretty amazing. I ended up at Greenside High School and um, just had the best experience there, and um, just my wife keeps mentioning, you know, you guys had such a great experience in South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I know, it was amazing. Absolutely. There are a lot of amazing yeah. things about this country. Yeah. So I want to start with Sleek Geek, which yeah. is a great name. Um, <laughs> you you started this as a passion project uh, seven or so years ago. You gave up a cushy corporate executive job and kind of just went headlong into a new direction. So what I want to know is, tell me about um, the corporate job you had just before starting Sleek Geek and what led you to that moment when you realized, hey, man, I need a change. Sure. Okay, so the first part of your question, what was the, the corporate job that I, that I last did? Um, well, the preamble to that is I spent 10 years working in corporate media. Ooh. Um, and, you know, I'd been the general manager of News24, which is the largest news website in South Africa. Um, I think in America you might call that the publisher. Um, and then my last job was at the Sunday Times Group. It's called Avusa, and it's a big media group. Yeah, it owns the Sunday Times, the Financial Mail here in South Africa, um, the Business Times, a range of publications, as well as other media properties, cinemas, bookstores, like a Barnes & Noble kind of equivalent. Um, And so it's a massive media group, and I was uh, the group uh, executive for digital. Um, And so that was my last gig. And, yeah, I mean, at that stage, I was your average, typical corporate workaholic. And, you know, I was overweight for most of my adult life. Um, I used to work way into the night and, you know, kind of never log off. Mm. I chain smoked for 16 and a half years. Oh, my gosh. I didn't didn't cook myself a meal, I think, for my whole working career. Uh, I did no exercise, and even though, as you uh, mentioned, I was fairly sporty at school, that kind, of, that kind of all stopped when I finished school, and, you know, what happens to a lot of people, I think, is they, uh, they go into their working career, university, not me, I didn't get married and have kids, but a lot of people do that, and they end up losing their health in the process, mm-hmm. because it's just not their focus and their priority. So I found myself at age 35... 
and I looked at my life and I thought, you know what, this isn't the life that I dreamed of. You know, when I was young, the life that I'd pictured uh, was quite different to to what this was. And I turned around and realized that I'd just spent all my time literally only focusing on my career and moving up the corporate ladder. Mm. And, you know, everything was lopsided and I'd neglected relationships in my life. I'd neglected family. I'd neglected my health. And, you know, it's strange though. It wasn't some kind of big bang epiphany. I just, it actually started out of vanity. Um, At age 35, I was due to go to Zanzibar on a holiday with my then girlfriend. And, uh, I was thinking about it, I thought, okay, well, we're going to spend 10 days in Zanzibar at a beach resort, pretty much in swimming costumes. And looking in the mirror, I felt like I looked like a, a beached whale. <laughs> no, <laughs> no offense to the whales. But, um, <laughs> but the thing is, I was actually, you know, jokes aside, I actually was quite ashamed of myself. Because, you know, when you are overweight or unhealthy, you don't really focus on that. No one likes keep you know no one looks in the mirror and admires themselves and goes wow man you've really got overweight i think yeah. <laughs> people pe- people <laughs> people tend you avoid to... looking in the mirror right exactly i mean i had tattoos that i'd forgotten that i had no, no, no jokes um and and the thing is is that like i actually i took a long hard look at myself and i'm quite a competitive person and at the time I had seen there was a New York Times bestseller called Body for Life. And the Body for Life was a challenge where, you know, some American guy had put up his Ferrari and said, you know, whoever takes this this 12-week challenge and changes their body, you know, goes into line for this Ferrari. And that kind of captured my imagination. Mm. And I thought, you know what? I thought, I'm going to just put out, it was like a Thursday and I put out a tweet. At the, in those days, Twitter was big in, in my community. We were like the early adopters of Twitter um, in those days before it had gone to the mass market. And so I had a little network of geeks on Twitter. <laughs> and I put it out. <laughs> and, and I said, guys, I said, I'm starting this. It was only six weeks till I was going to Zanzibar. I said, on, on Monday, I'm starting this challenge. Put 500 Rand in the kitty. The winner is going to take the money. Uh, let's see who can like get the best results in six weeks. We all submit our before photos. We take some measurements. We weigh ourselves, and we'll get one of our friends who's like a gym bunny kind of guy to be the judge. And about ten of my friends said we're in. And so it was me and my ten friends. You know, this is like the the classical kind of uh, startup story. <laughs> yeah. So, oh yeah. You know, and you were like, you were still working your job at um, Avusa, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I was still a busy corporate executive. And uh, so we did the 6-week challenge and I lost about 8-9 kilograms in that challenge. So so pause, 8 or 9 kilograms for those of you listening that's probably around uh, let's see 18 to 20 pounds, something like that. Yeah, let's say 18 pounds. 2.2, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so let's say about eighteen pounds. Eighteen pounds. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't. That's it wasn't, a, that's a, it wasn't that's huge, a lot. but it was wow. enough. It was enough to feel quite different about about my trip. And then I realized uh, at that time someone had told me, "Oh, you know, paleo is the thing, and you just got to cut out grains and dairy and sugar and carbohydrates, and you're going to lose weight." And like I'd never heard this before. No one had ever told me that, you know, that that was an option. Um, so I tried it and it worked for me. Like, I don't do that anymore, but that's how I started my journey because all that, all that did was it just made me eat whole foods and reduce my overall consumption and kind of stop eating junk. And then I went to Zanzibar with my girlfriend at the time and I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know what, I'm actually kind of enjoying this. Like, why don't I just, you know, avoid alcohol during the day instead of having 10 cocktails poolside during the day uh why don't i just make a rule that i can have some alcohol at night if i want but during the day i'll drink water and why don't i just make a rule because there was a gym at the resort why don't i just make a rule that i'll spend 45 minutes each day in that gym and and sweat a bit 
And why don't I just try and avoid carbohydrates and I can have as much protein and vegetables as I like. And you know that in Zanzibar, they have beautiful fish and seafood. And, you know, so I still... That's in Tanzania, right? Yeah. And I realized it's idyllic there. It's idyllic. Um, And I realized that I could actually enjoy myself, have a wonderful holiday, not feel deprived and still, you know, keep up on my journey. Um, then to cut a long story short, came back to South Africa and my friends were like, oh, sorry, I left out the part where um, this, the whole embryo of Sleek Geek was, I decided with those 10 friends, how are we going to communicate with each other? And I thought, well, at that time, Facebook had just kind of launched groups. They weren't really a thing. People were mainly using pages in those days. But page, pages are more designed to talk at people rather than talk with them. So groups are, right. groups are more about conversation. Um, pages are more for brands to talk to audiences. So I started a group where we could talk to each other and I had to, I had to name it. And this is now your next question is probably like, where does Sleek Geek come from? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. At, I'm very at, curious. So at that time, at that time in South Africa, the early adopters of the tech community, like let's say your South African equivalent of Silicon Valley, um, we referred to ourselves as geeks rather than nerds. <laughs> And, yeah, uh, I remember and, that. <laughs> and, and, and so there was a whole range of things going on at that time. There was a cricket league called Geek Cricket, and there was a weekend away that we called Geek Retreat. So the word geek <laughs> in my life at that point was fairly topical. And then I and thought, positive as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And then you know, you know what it's like. You click on start group, and then it asks you to name it. So like literally in two seconds, I just thought, okay, well, I'm a geek, and I want to be sleek. So let's call this thing Sleek Geek. Um, you know, awesome. at, at that point, I had no, there was no like motive to start a consumer brand. Or I probably wouldn't have called it Sleek Geek had I been trying to brainstorm a, a name that was intuitive. Because, you know, even though a lot of people have, uh, you know, enjoyed the name, um, I don't think it's good practice. If you, I think if you're going to have a word that isn't um, literal to what you're doing, it should probably have no meaning, uh, you know, because otherwise it's, it can throw people off what the product really is. So, yeah. so it's not ideal. I mean, you know, when we passed about 3,000 members, we did sit down and seriously consider renaming it to, really? some, to something more intuitive around health and wellness. But we, we realized that people who had nothing to do with technology actually were loving the name <laughs> the, they were quite they were <laughs> proud they were really referring to themselves as sleeks and you know and and so we kind of like we decided you know what let's just roll with it and and yeah that's how it was, that's how sleek geek was created so i came back from zanzibar and people said to me you've got to do another challenge man and then we had 20 people who signed up and then we had 50 and now eight years later we have on average about a thousand people who sign up for a challenge and we do it three times a year wow yeah Three times a year. And yeah. wow, that's a lot of people that you are influencing and helping and taking on their own journeys. That That's that's amazing. Sure, sure. Um, and I mean, look, we're, we're a small market compared to the States. I think if I had the equivalent product there, we'd have 10,000. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, for a South African market, we've got an audience of well over 100,000 at the moment. And, you know, in, in this market, that's quite a big audience. Um, I know in the States you have people on Instagram who have like a million followers, but, you know, we, we do have quite a small uh, internet market in South Africa. But, you know, that's just the start. So how long have you been in business then? Okay, so the first year um, I just did it as a, uh, you know, on the side. Um, and I was still carrying... As a passion yeah, project. I still, I still carried on my job as a corporate executive. All it meant that you know, in my breaks and everything, I was constantly on social media talking to my community. Um, and then at the point where we passed about a thousand members, that's when I decided to cash in my chips and leave corporates and, and do the sleek geek thing full time. And that's a ballsy thing to do, Elon. Well, everyone thought I was nuts because, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was I was earning really well um, and things were looking really good in my career. And yeah, a lot of a lot of my friends and, and, and people around me thought that I'd kind of like lost my marbles. Um, but you know, 
people often say to me, you know, that took a lot of guts and that was ballsy. But in a way, I feel like I didn't have a choice. Like sometimes in life, there's things that choose you and you don't choose them. And that's kind of how I felt about it. Like I didn't have any fear around it. I just felt like this is something I really want to do, um, whatever the consequences. And luckily, I had a year's worth of living costs saved up. Um, nice. And I just thought, well, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to buy a bigger house or a bigger car? Let me, let me just take this and buy myself a sabbatical. Uh, well, you know, that sabbatical nice. eight years later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's turned into a booming business that you have, you know, 100,000 South Africans that are participating. That's, that's a great story. That's a great story. Thanks, man. So you, you packed it in. You packed it in. When we had a thousand You had members, a yeah. year's worth of... And a thousand members. Um, and I had to sell my convertible. Your, uh, what kind of convertible did you have to sell? I had the Lexus convertible. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's just a convertible, right? Exactly. I sold the convertible and my uncle had a, a, a rust bucket 1969 Volvo. And uh, I bought that from him for like basically nothing. And I drove that for, for about two and a half years. So, you know, I did the, the archetypal entrepreneur kind of like gives a whole lot of Bootstrap. stuffs up and makes sacrifices. Yeah and, yeah. and then one day I decided, you know what? I don't want to be a charity case. Um, I don't want to ask for handouts. We're going to make this thing commercially viable. And I've been just focusing on, on doing that. Were you living in Cape Town at the time of your job? And uh, so you didn't relocate anywhere. You just continued to be in Cape Town? Sure. Um, for, for my last job, I was commuting. Johannesburg is, for your, the, your audience who don't know, it's a two-hour flight. Um, and the company that I was working for in Johannesburg were commuting me. I was leaving every Monday morning on the first flight out and coming home every Thursday night. Uh, and I did that for about two years Oh, that must have been killer, Elon. You know what? In a way, it it was strange because when I lived in Cape Town and worked in Cape Town, I used to work weekends um, and all the time. But when I did the commuting, Monday to Thursday, I worked my ass off. And then Friday, I was a little bit more chilled. And I actually treated, I treated the weekend as a holiday. So in, in a kind of strange way, it, it kind of partitioned my life and almost made every weekend in Cape Town, which, as you would know, is an absolutely beautiful place that people come on holiday to. It made every, mm-hmm. week, it made every weekend like a holiday. So in a weird kind of way, it actually worked pretty well for me. I, I've seen online that you are actually the co-founder of Sleek Geek. Is, is that correct? Because I've seen someone else as a part of the, the business. Okay. How, how did that turn out? Okay, so my partner, Eric... Um, the story is Eric is uh, about 15 years younger than me, but about 15 years wiser than me. <laughs> uh, he, Eric's just one of those guys who, you know, he's young, but he's just uh, way beyond his years and in intelligence and, and wisdom. And, you know, finding him was an absolute gem. I wouldn't have been able to do this without him. But so I started Sleek Geek and Eric came to me about a month and a half into it. He found the community when we just started. And he said, look, I'm a student. I'd like to help you out. I've got a bit of tech knowledge. Do you need some help with your website? And I said, sure. But you know, I can't pay you anything. I can try and give you some pocket money. And so he started helping me while he was still studying. And uh, eventually, when we started to generate a bit of revenue, I said, well, you know, I can't really pay you, but I'll give you 10% of everything we make as, you know, as a thank you. And then eventually, when he graduated, he said, look, I'd like to start working uh, full-time for Sleek Geek and see where that goes. Um, so he came into full-time employment. And, you know, over time, um, I said to him, look, you know, I'd like to, I want to do this with you. I'd like you to have some equity in the business. And we worked out a equity agreement so that he has a share in the future. Uh, and we have profit share and all of that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I also said because you were there right from day one and because every single decision that I've made around this business we've consulted on and because so many of the, the really great things we've done have been like your ideas, 
I'm happy for you to, you know, refer to yourself as the co-founder of Sleek Geek quite comfortably. Wow. So, wow. So, so, you know, I mean, in, uh, you know, I mean, I refer to myself actually as the founder, which I am. Um, I'm like the, ori- okay. I'm like, I'm the original vampire. Um, You're the original <laughs> McCoy, right? The big kahuna. Yeah, the- look, I mean, if, if. I gave I gave birth to the thing. If if it wasn't for me, there would there would be no Sleek Geek. So I am the founder. But uh, if it wasn't for Eric, uh, Sleek Geek wouldn't be so amazing. So um, he is my co-founder. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And he and so just for our listeners, you referred to uh, pocket money earlier. So that's that would be the equivalent of an allowance here. Um, so that so going from allowance to equity ownership, that's that's a great story. Sure, and and you know the thing is, I, I debated. You know, there's a lot of questions around. You know, when you give people equity, should they have to put? You know, should they have to pay for it? Can sweat equity? There's all these different topics. But you know, with with Eric, I was quite comfortable that that he earned it through his sweat. And uh, you know, it's quite a thing to wake up one day and realize you don't have a hundred percent of your company anymore. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I actually, I woke up feeling good about it. So that told me it was the right decision. Uh, and, and honestly, I've said this to Eric many times, I, I wouldn't want to do this without him. Uh, you know, sometimes I think, um, partnerships aren't always easy, but like sometimes you find your, your kind of soulmate in a partnership. And, and I think I found that in Eric in a sense that, we are very different people. We complement each other. You know, he's he's much more rational and considered. You know, Eric's the kind of guy. You know, when you ask someone to think about something, ninety nine percent of people they don't really think about it. Like, he will think about it. Uh, you know, or if you ask him, to, if you ask him to consider something, you know, he will come back with a considered, thought out response. Looked at every angle. You know, there's very few people. You know, I think we're living in a society. I've just listened to that. Uh, that uh, audio book from Cal Newport called uh, Deep Work. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's a great book. Yeah, and, and, and I think that, you know, we are definitely living in a world where people have just become so distracted that people are just living in the shallows. And everyone's just giving minimal attention, doing the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even when people debate political uh you know, uh, ideas or people get into debates where they don't even bother to really look at the details. Uh, and, and, you know, Eric is just one of those rare people who, who tends to go deep on everything. And it compliments me because <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of the cheerleader. You know, I, I cheer people on. I'm, I'm the show pony. Uh, I'm kind of like the, the charismatic leader in the community. Um, and, you know, he brings, he makes sure that we have the depth and the quality. It, it sounds like you have the relationship that a classic CEO and COO would need to have. And the CEO is the the front runner, the show pony, as you said, and the COO is kind of the rational, let's actually make it happen operationally what the CEO promised. And, and those are hard to find, those relationships. Absolutely. It feels like you guys are succeeding, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's made it great is that we we often disagree on, on things and that gets us to a better solution. So it really helps that we see things differently and we course correct each other. And like, we're not afraid to say, I don't think, you know, you, you know, that's the right answer. And cause we know that we ultimately, you know, going to get to a better answer. So that's worked really well for us. The fact that we are so different, but you know what, actually in your analogy of the CEO and the CEO, uh, I must say what I found, uh, you know, even though it's hard to call your business a startup when it's eight years old, but I've really had to get back into the grind and it's humbled me in a sense that, um, you know, when I was a cushy corporate, I had hundreds of people under me to do the actual work. And, you know, I mean, I was at that strategic level where you get paid for, you get paid for the, the ideas and the solving of the problems. You don't get paid for doing the operational grind. The hard work, right? Yeah, the grind. Yeah. But in a small startup like this, where we've very limited on capacity, I've had to really, over the last eight years, get you know emerged in the in the daily grind, almost too much. I don't feel like I get to work on the business enough uh, yet. We're still in that kind of phase, 
Um, so that's also been quite humbling. But what it has taught me is one thing that I did have a problem with um, when I was in my corporate life, even though I was quite successful, um, I always battled procrastination and work productivity. Um, I used to get things done at the last minute. Eventually, I'd get them done well, but I wasted a lot of time. And, you know, I said I was a workaholic, and I think I was actually unnecessarily a workaholic because I didn't get the work done in the time that I had, and that resulted in me having to work late into the night. And, you know, I wish I'd known then what I know now because I've become, like, so much more efficient and effective because obviously you know efficiency and effectiveness are two different things but I've become much better at getting things done efficiently and I've become much better at focusing on what really matters and you know I've I made a promise to myself when I left corporate that if I'm going to run and own a health organization I've got to practice what I preach I've got to live a balanced life so I challenged myself to be able to build my empire and build my dream in reasonable working hours um, and I've stuck to that because, you know, I didn't want to buy into the whole idea that if you want to, you know, be an entrepreneur, you've got to burn it at both ends. I'm trying to, you know, make it happen within a, a reasonable, balanced life. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Everything you've said makes a lot of sense. And um, you should have a, a good, healthy work life focus and um burning it on both ends just doesn't make sense and it's not healthy and it's not healthy as an example to your community or to your employees like you should be modeling that behavior and i agree with that and and i and i have to say i i really appreciate your honesty and your authenticity i, I think your vulnerability is infectious um, I've seen the videos that you've um, put online and, I, you know, you were just talking about how you you didn't like what you saw in the mirror. Um, that, that kind of stuff is um, impressive. And um, I, how do you deal with the negativity and the haters and the people that come after you with <laughs> with uh, who are just trolls, really? Like, how do you how do you um, deal with that? OK, well, either I'm not famous enough or I'm too likable, but I can't say that I've had to encounter. <laughs> look, I, I can't, look. It's, it's the last one. You're not famous. It's not that you're not famous because you will be famous. It's you're too likable. No, for sure. look, I mean, I, I don't think that, I, I'm not, I'm not really, a, I'm not really a polarizing type of person. Like you, f no. you find that, which, which could probably counts against me because, you know, a lot of people who've attained major success as social media icons are fairly polarizing and controversial. You've got to have a little bit of crazy in you. I think I'm, I'm quite a balanced kind of, you know, like, so I don't really, I don't, I don't anger or upset people, okay? But, you know, where I have found some resistance is in the health and fitness community, uh, you know, there's pe there's people like personal trainers or gym owners who look at us and they think, you know, who are these guys? You know, they just that guy's like a corporate media ex hack. Uh, you know, like what right does he have to own this community? And I think there is some kind of envy or jealousy because you know to build a community of this size and to keep it going, it's a lot of hard work. And people who are in the health and fitness community, they don't have that skill set. So often they look at what we do and I think there is some kind of envy around that. So, you know, we have got a bit of flack over the years. Um, but, you know, I think over the years we've also earned a lot of respect because one thing that Sleek Geek is known for is we trade in trust and reliable information. So in the health industry, there's a lot of, there's a lot of BS out there, man. Uh, it, yeah, it kind of, there really is. It kind of it kind of upsets me because the guys with the BS are earning ten times more money than I am. But you know, we like to sleep well at night, and we're an ethical business uh, across the board. We believe in happy money. You know, we only want to make money where both parties are happy and and and, and are served. Mm. Um, and, and it's been hard because we're up against you know Instagrammers, you know, who just show a bit of tits and ass and sell a meal plan which is never really going to work in the long term. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's, that's what we're up against in the consumer space. 
Uh, I, I should have actually mentioned that our model, you know, we've got a freemium model where 99% of what we do, we give away for free. Like I decided from day one that I don't want people to be, I want them to have access to good support and good information. So a lot of people have criticized us <laughs> for giving away too much. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I want people to have access to that help and support so people could change their lives in our community without ever paying me a cent. Um, and I don't know where was I going with this. Where we where do we start? I've gone off on a total tangent. We, well, we started off on the um, the haters and the, oh, and yeah, the yeah, trolls, yeah. and yeah. I, but I but I, I kind of like where you went with this because it speaks to the business model, right? So you're talking about freemium. How do you actually make money? Is it on the fitness on the challenges or like where? Okay. What does the business model look like? Okay. Well, well, first of all, the the challenges which we run three times a year, people pay an entry, so. The average price for an entry, whether you're an early bird or full price, I'd say is about 500 rand. So what's that? Uh, divided by 15. In US dollars? Yeah. It's about seven. Oh, wait. Um, no, well, it's, not, it's not seven. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know how to do math our anymore. Our currency is not, not, not that bad. <laughs> Um, so it's divided by 15, it's so it's about 40, 30, 30, 30, $35. $35, yeah, okay. Let's see. Yeah, our, our oh. currency is really weak. So, But would it be quite cheap for you to pay $35 to enter an eight-week health transformation challenge? Oh, my God, that would be so cheap yeah. for like eight weeks yeah. of of a challenge. Thirty, yeah. Absolutely, that would be okay. very cheap. For eight weeks, I think I would expect maybe $100. Okay, well, people pay $35 here, and, and a lot of people actually find that, you know, hard to afford. Um, but, but basically, for that, they get entered into, it's basically a weight loss competition where we've got like a massive, we've got 100,000 rands worth of prizes, we give people eating plans, wow. training plans. So essentially, you know, we're talking about the business model, so I won't go into what that product is, but essentially that product is probably earns us about 70% of our, our annual income, okay? Um, mm, then the mm-hmm. rest is made up of uh, we, don't, we don't deal too much with advertising because we don't really want to over-advertise to our audience, but we have one or two key partnerships. Adidas is our anchor sponsor at the moment. And they pay us a monthly retainer. Um, then we are certified with Precision Nutrition, which is, to my mind, one of the best nutrition companies in the world. They're based in Canada. Um, and we certified with them. We license their learner management system and we teach their nutrition system, um, which we feel is, is really one of the best nutrition systems out there. It's been peer-reviewed in scientific journals and what we like about it, it's very agnostic and it's it's not very polarizing. Um, it just teaches, it's a habit-based approach to health. So we, we try and teach people healthy habits because we don't believe that meal plans and diets and these kind of things really work because they don't fit into people's real lives. Um, life is messy, man. And in, yeah, in, a, in, a, really is. in a messy real life, you can only make those kind of diet plans work under perfect conditions and for a very limited period of time. You know, unfortunately, a, a lot of people, the only way they know how to lose weight is a way that's not sustainable. If, you know, if you said to me, yeah, Elon, I know how to lose 10 kilograms. I just run 10 Ks every day and eat 1,500 calories. I'd be, that's great. But like, <laughs> you know, are you, how are you ever going to sustain that for more than a couple of weeks? So you don't really know how to lose 10 kilograms. Uh, it doesn't really work. <laughs> so so we try and teach people healthy habits um, around portion control, uh, around intuitively um, knowing how to construct a healthy meal um, and just being able to survive life. We deal a lot with mindset because for the most part, uh, people, if they can solve a couple of their bad habits, like late night snacking or emotional eating or overconsumption of alcohol, those are the things that generally really set people back. Um, but we believe, like as a change model, uh, we believe in a habit-based approach. I don't know if you know James uh, Clear. No, I don't. Tell me about James Clear. You better go check out James Clear. You're going to fall in love. So, <laughs> so okay, good. So James Clear, his blog is amazing. His emails are incredible. You should really uh, subscribe. But James Clear has the Habit Academy, and he's pioneered. 
a habit-based approach to change. I mean, it's basically saying small incre- incremental change versus big bang yeah. kind of change. But like the way he lays it out, he's got a great book called... Uh, Atomic man. Habits. Yeah, man, it'll blow your mind. And, and he's just got a way of explaining things in such a simple, consumable way. He's, his emails are really brilliant. I just subscribed. Yeah, he's actually, he's got a new email. <laughs> he's actually changed his email style at the moment. And he's, he's saying that he's trying to get, give the most value per word out of any email out there. So what he's doing now is he's sending an email where it's like, it's not long, but it is just mind-blowing power. So look forward to that. Okay, I will. But yeah, so we love James, we love James Clear. And, and so we take a habit-based approach to health. And the unfortunate truth, guys, if you want to improve your health, is that it takes work and it's a lifelong pursuit. Just like anything else in life worth having, you know, it's like a relationship. Each day you choose it. Um, you, know what hap- yeah. you know what would happen in your marriage if you didn't show up um, each day. Um, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. And I love the amount of uh, effect you're having on South Africans. When are you going global? You know what? <laughs> I would love to go global. I think there's a few things that I'm trying to figure out. One, I think we're still in an R&D phase eight years later of trying to figure out what the product really mm. is. Um, you know, we've created something that there isn't really, uh, like, I don't know anything like it out there. So, for example, when you create a news website, you know what other news websites look like. You know what the business model is. You know what everyone else is doing. So, you know, we're still trying to, like, figure out what the real business model is, one. And two, you know, for the, at the moment, the localization works in a sense that when people are in a discussion, when they're talking to people who are similar to them, it's more of a shared experience. And mm. so I think, I don't know why, but it looks like my lights just went out. Okay, wait, no, it seems my power is on. Okay. You can still hear me clearly, right? For those of you listening, uh, we can hear you okay. clearly. No, For those fine. of you listening, uh, Cape, Ta- Cape Town has something called brownouts every now and again. Is, is that what's going on right now? No, it's, it's just weird. My lights, maybe something tripped. But as long as I can see my laptop uh, plug light is on. So we, we can just keep going. Just ignore that. Okay. We so keep I'm, going. I'm, keep sitting going. Here, yeah. okay. I'm sitting here in the dark. As I look to my right, I can see dark clouds and orange over the ocean i'm very lucky to live on the on the beachfront here in cape town i mean i've traveled a lot in my life and uh i don't know if you ever can get to cape town guys it's a beautiful place to be okay so anyway we were talking where where about where about are you are you in green point or sea point yeah, I'm, or? I'm, well i'm in Mully point so basically you know where the lighthouse is Mully point oh yeah i'm just by yeah, yeah i'm just yeah. by the lighthouse there on the promenade yeah wow nice yeah. very nice sorry we were saying we were talking about what is um, keeping you from going global oh, and yes. one is the product and you were going to talk about the localization. Yes. Okay. So, so I think, you know, it's, I think the local relevance does matter in terms of a community and, you know, we've often thought how we would build out other communities and other territories um, and replicate the experience, but because it kind of grew organically the way it did, I don't kind of have a blueprint to make that happen in another territory as yet. Um, you know, look, I mean, we could take our challenge and we could easily, I could white label that and give it to you tomorrow. But the point is it still needs a, um, a marketing model. And our marketing model has been to create community. And that's how we generate interest in it. So, you know, and, and that's how we generate trust as well, because, you know, around weight loss kind of products or whatever, there's a lot of mistrust. So we first earn people's trust and then they're happy to engage with it. So and, and then also having said that, um, you know, we shorten capacity. We're still running at break even and I barely have enough capacity to make things work in this territory. But I do sometimes then think to myself, geez, am I thinking big enough? But you know what does interest me, Yvonne, about your market, and maybe we can talk about this offline, is if you, ask, yeah. if you asked me how am I going to scale my business, which is always the question, I would, say, yeah. I would say if you'd ask me my corporate days pre-Sleek Geek, if I was going to start a business one day, what would I do? I would have said 
99% I would have said that it would be a business to business business, not a business to consumer business. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so I accidentally ended up starting a business to consumer business, which is a real grind. Um, And I think the future of Sleek Geek lies in the business to business in a corporate health and wellness model. And my problem there is I can't figure out the product. Um, You know, we can take a lot of what we know and a lot of what we've learned and transfer that to corporate, but it's a very different beast in a sense that people who come to us, they are looking for a solution. They want change. In a corporate setting, the staff there weren't really asking for the change. And, you know, when it's thrust upon them, it's a very different animal to deal with. And so in my research, a lot of the products that I've seen out there in the corporate space, I don't believe that they are effective. And I want to do something that's going to make real change. So that's where I'm a little bit stuck at the moment. Um, I have seen actually in the States one or two companies that, I can't remember the names, but one or two companies who look to be doing it really well, but they're very tech-driven. And, and so my, my frustration right now is I just don't have the budget to build tech um, and to maintain it. And so that's where I'm a little bit stuck. But I definitely think that the answers for our future to, to sustain and grow this business lie in, in, in creating a, a, a corporate uh, workplace, let's not say corporate, let's say a workplace wellness model that is effective and that really serves people. So that's really what I spend my days thinking about at the moment. Yeah, so one of the angles is, um, do you think the angle of the corporate approach, of the B2B approach, is because you feel like you can't be you in every B2C market across the globe? Like, you can't replicate Elon to motivate everyone in every single state in the United States, in Canada, in Europe. And so, like, is, is that part of the, like, the nut you're trying to crack? No, I, I mean, partially, uh, I would say, like, you know, it, it's hard to become a world phenomena from South Africa because ultimately, you know, there's a ripple effect. Like, there's a reason, like, you, you want to, like, be in a, in a big market to get that ripple effect. But that's not really the reason. The reason is, from a, from a strategy perspective, my reasoning is that, you know, we've been very reliant. Our community is mainly based in Facebook. And mm. over the eight years, we've been riding the Facebook algorithm roller coaster. And, you know, it's had its good times and it's had its bad times, but it's always unpredictable. And, you know, that always makes me feel uneasy. Uh, you know, yeah, that's a risk. It's, it's right? a it's massive risk. risk. But, you know, at the same time, I would never have been able to build a brand so easily and so cheaply had it not been for Facebook. Um, so, so, you know, it's been swings and roundabouts, but it is a high risk. I mean, look, we do have a newsletter. We've got 30,000 subscribers to our newsletter opted in. We do have a website where we have about 30,000 unique visitors a month. So not all the eggs are just in the Facebook basket and we still haven't quite figured out Instagram, but you know, Facebook is where our community lives and So what I thought to myself is if I can create a really effective workplace product, then I'm immune to what Facebook does or doesn't do because then I'm going to be judged on the, on the track record and the testimony and the success, the product that I create. So that makes me feel more, more solid, um, you know, against you know, those kind of external forces, I would say that would be my main reason. Look, we never want to do away with, we're a community-based business and we always will be because, you know, the community gives us reputation and leads and goodwill. And most of the the leads for the corporate workplace stuff is going to be in my community itself. So we'll never, yeah. we'll never ever, we'll, like community is what we'll always be as our DNA. But my kind of dream for the future is to almost build a really solid business model alongside which can subsidize the community and help us even give more away for free um, is probably the way I'd see it. Like we'd never abandon the community at all, but I just feel that trying to fund the community through the community, you know, we've been chugging it away for, for eight years now and we're still running at break even. 
And, you know, that's been hard, you know, from going from a, a place of such financial security now, like literally every quarter, I'm wondering if I'm going to be around for the next quarter. That can be quite stressful. It's a different kind of stress. It definitely is. I think we need to talk a little bit offline sure. and um, see what kind of um, collaboration or synergy or I don't know what other word you want to use, but sure. there, there might be something we can do together. Let's talk about that offline. We have been talking for a long time and <laughs> it feels, I love it. It feels like but five we, minutes. <laughs> It does feel like five minutes, but it's been forty-five already, wow. and and so we're we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wrap it up here in just a little bit here. Sure. Um, I think the last thing we've kind of talked about what you see Sleek Gig evolving and and the challenges of going global and and getting bigger and so on. I, I just want to go back a little bit before you started your corporate world. You t we talked about, we mentioned. Um, St. John's at the beginning of the of the episode and that we went to school together in, in prep school. But I never asked you about where you ended up at university and what did you study? I'm I'm curious to know what you studied and and how you got into media and if you're using any of that today in business. Okay, well that's an interesting question because uh, after school I did something quite unconventional in those days. Most people in South Africa, they just went straight from school to university and, uh, or college, I think, as it's called on your side. And mm -hmm. basically, I did something unconventional. I went and decided I was going to backpack for a year. I went to Israel. I was on kibbutz. And when I left South Africa, there wasn't much crime. It was just post-elections, 1994. And uh, I went off to Israel And during that year, uh, crime became to become quite a, a hot thing in South Africa. And when I returned uh, in 1995, uh, well, at the end of 1995, I decided that because Johannesburg was such a crime hotspot, I didn't want to study there anymore. So the original plan was to go to the university in Johannesburg and study sports psychology. Then my sister had this great idea. She said, why don't you study journalism? You're really good at English. And, you know, you love history and all these things, you know, the BA side of things, Bachelor of Arts side of things, you know, you're quite good at that. Why don't you go and do that? Because in Grahamstown, Rhodes University specialized. It was the, the only place you could study journalism in South Africa. Mm -hmm. That's so, true. So I went there. And for those of your audience who wouldn't know, Grahamstown is a small little town in the middle of nowhere where it's literally just, <laughs> it's literally just thousands of students wanting to party. I mean isolated in this little beautiful town i mean that's you know and wine and lots of wine it's, right it's, it, it was in the guinness book of records for alcohol consumption um so anyway that's where i studied journalism uh, and i also did psychology and, and political science and but what was really fortunate for me was it was kind of the time where the browsed web started to become a thing back in the day of html1 and blue links and, you know, HTML, yeah. HTML frames, uh, you know. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> frames, yes. <laughs> exactly, you know, we all learned on WebMonkey how to code. Exactly, and, yeah. And so, actually, you know what? I went and I worked at, uh, at Wired at WebMonkey for a while. Anyway, that's another story for another day. So, anyway, so in Grahamstown, uh, in my journalism school, we were the first ever class to start a new program called Cyber Publishing how to use the internet mm. for journalism. We learned how to build websites and do all these cool things back in the day where you would write websites in Notepad and you would still have to like code image maps, you know. Um, yeah. There were no yeah, real yeah. tools available, you know, back in the days where Photoshop didn't really even have, have layers and you only had one undo. <laughs> and, exactly, uh, I remember that. <laughs> exactly. So, so, so basically, um, it was quite a new thing and that was very lucky for me. I, I started my career at Sunday Times, which is our biggest Sunday publication in South Africa. They had a website and I said to them, listen, I'm graduating from journalism. I've got these skills. I want to come work for you. And they said, well, we don't have a job for you. Um, we've got a job freeze on. I said, I work for free. And I went there, and within six months, I totally recreated their website, their product, turned everything upside down, and they offered me a really decent job. And at that point, when they offered me a starting salary, I said, no, 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 you can't offer me what you're offering the journalists. I've got specialized skills. And so I started off on a good package. And that was very fortuitous, because in those days, the, 
the older media management type people, they didn't understand technology. They feared it. They feared the internet. And none of them really knew anything about it. So it allowed me to get to the boardroom very quickly. At the age of 25, mm. 26, I was running their online department. And it allowed me to sit in management meetings where if I'd gone into print journalism or if I'd gone into radio, or if I'd gone into TV, I would have had to do years of doing my time and paying my dues. So that was, you know, that helped me to leapfrog my career very quickly. Um, and so, yeah, so did I use my journalism skills? Not at all. Um, I'll tell you why. <laughs> I realized that I was going to be poor if I, if, I, if I try to be a journalist. I decided I've got to be the person who pays the journalists. And so straight away, uh, right from the beginning, I went into a commercial role where my job was to run the business and make sure that the business was profitable and make sure that the strategy was in place. And so right from the beginning, I went into the commercial side of things and you know, always had a team of, of, of journalists and media people working for me. So I obviously used my media knowledge in terms of understanding media, but I never, ever worked uh, a day as a journalist or a reporter. And it was always funny because, you know, our parents back in the day, my mom always used to tell everyone I was a journalist. I'm like, mom, I'm not a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> she, never really, she never really got what I did. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm so glad to have spent this time with you catching up and finding out so much about Me too, Sleek man. Geek. I'm sorry I didn't get to it's find out great. about you. We've got, to, we've got to do an offline, well, online, off-podcast conversation so I can find out a little bit more about your life. I think that would be great. I'd love yeah. to do that. Good, 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 good. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. It's really been a great pleasure talking sure. with you. Can I leave your audience with one message? Yes, please do. Guys, this is the message that I learned, and this is what my passion is. Life is better when you're healthy. If you want to be a better employee, you want to be a better entrepreneur, you want to be a better partner, you want to be a better parent, you want to be a better all-round human being, health is the real wealth, and life is better when you're healthy. I love it. Thank you, Elon. Pleasure. Ilan Lohman is founder of Sleek Geek South Africa, a social community of support and motivation for your healthy lifestyle goals. You can find them online at sleekgeek.co.za, or as they say in South Africa, sleekgeek.co.za, <laughs> and on Facebook as Sleek Geek. They're also on Twitter and Instagram as Sleek Geek SA. You've been listening to the 107 podcast. Find us online at 107.com slash podcast. And if you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegic. Thank you for listening. Listening.